We've been we've been in this series um, over the past couple of weeks that we've sort of loosely been calling um, "Prepare the Way," preparing the way, prepare the way, prepare the way. I think. And a couple of weeks ago, um, John and Amy spoke about Mary. For those that you are here, for those of you that were here, um, it was about Mary's yes to God. That this kind of young um, virgin from an insignificant town not from a, a position, place of power or particular significance, found favour in the eyes of God. And Mary's yes meant that God could be with us, meant that Jesus would be born, that God in human flesh would become a reality. And we, so we talked about what it means to be available. What does it mean for us to say yes to God in our everyday lives? And then last week at the carol service, um, the Reverend Jonathan looked at the wise men and the shepherds, and, and, and how God doesn't stand far off. You know, the God of uh, deism, this disinterested God that kind of creates things and then steps back that our God is nothing like that. But in Jesus, we know that God comes into the fray. He comes into the mess of our lives um, in order to make all things new. As Kate said earlier, ultimately, he comes as a baby in order to give his very life for us. And he is resurrected and he is alive and with us today. So what should we talk about today? I thought, and Johnny sort of did the wise men and the shepherds. Johnny does this amazing thing, doesn't he? Where he says, um, we haven't got time to get into this, but, and then he just gets into it. And that's what he did with the shepherds at the carol service last week. So thanks for that. Um, I want to start with a question. Um, and the question is this. Have you ever um, used a word or a term, a word or a phrase maybe, uh, in the wrong way? Or have you ever learned a word or a phrase um, to, be, to find out that you've been using it in the wrong way for a really long time? I can see some, yeah, great. When I was, um, when I was a, a kid growing up in Kent, um, I used to think, who whooped for Kent? Oh, go on, the Reverend Will, Kent boys, through and through. So, yeah, anyway, um, so... When I, when I was a boy, I used to think that decaffeinated, decaffeinated, see, I still can't say it, decaffeinated coffee was decapitated coffee. And I said this, and I think it must have amused my parents so much they didn't correct me for years. I think I got to probably 15 or 16 years old saying decapitated coffee, which maybe is why I have no taste for it. Now, about 18 months ago, I received this text from my lovely wife, Katie. Hopefully you'll be able to see this. If not, I'll talk you through it. Okay, confession time. You know people say, so help me God. I always thought it was, so healthy God. And as you can see, I, I dealt with that graciously. I think there were probably another few lines of laughter underneath that. But just every court scene ever, right? Every kind of court movie. Um, Joe, uh, yeah, dear Katie thought it was, so healthy God. Just telling God how healthy he is. I had a... Um, I became a Christian as a teenager in the aforementioned Kent, and I went to a church there, um, and there was a wonderful pastor there, still is a wonderful pastor there, called Dave, um, and um, he'd let me share this story, don't worry. But I remember we were, um, when I was about 16, I started at church, and I joined uh, the worship team, and I remember we had a worship team meeting, and there was this one lady on the worship team who was a singer, who at this point was pregnant. And we're all sat around the table um, just before the meeting begins and Pastor Dave is making some small talk. And he leans in to talk to Helen, who's probably sort of six or seven months pregnant at this point. And he says, so Helen, have you got any fetishes yet? <laughs> what? Any other conversation that was happening at that point around the table just stopped. 
and we zoned in. And he, and he just kept going. I mean, was it, was it like your first child? Are the, are the fetishes similar? Have you developed new fetishes? And he kept going and going and going, probably for a good 10 minutes. And obviously, the word that he meant was cravings. Yeah, but it took him a while. I've never seen the man so embarrassed in my life. But we, there is this ability, isn't there, for us to, us to use words in the wrong way or to get mixed up or to, or to think things mean something completely different to what they actually do. In our passage today, there's this term, this name that's given to Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I think this is a term just like that. A term that historically has, has been grossly misused. God with us sort of turned from being this amazing, miraculous, sort of mind-shattering reality of God coming and taking on flesh in Jesus and became kind of like a slogan. I found out whilst I was preparing this that in the 19th century, um, German soldiers in the 19th century in the First World War would have got mit uns, which is the German slide will come up in a second, which is the German translation of God with us, actually engraved on their belts. And whole regiments would have it on their helmets over a skull and crossbones, nonetheless, which is very interesting. But God with us became a slogan to justify even some of the most dark, sinister regimes that we've had in modern history. God with us became a way of people being able to um, manipulate others a way of assuring people that God was on their side, a way of justifying their own agendas and ideologies. For those of you that like a Viking or Saxon um, era show on Netflix or whatever, this is, of course, Alfred from The Last Kingdom. And Alfred, the, the, one of the lines he probably uses more than any other in The Last Kingdom is this thing, it's okay, God is with us. He stands on the edge of a battlefield and he says, it's okay because God is with us. And all the while, the other side, the Vikings are saying exactly the same thing. And this slogan, God with us, becomes um, basically the banner under which any kind of deceit, any kind of cruelty, any kind of violence can be justified because it's okay, God is with us. And God with us, when we look at Israel, when we look at um, uh, the Jews in the time of Jesus, was also a term that didn't quite mean what they thought it would mean. Johnny spoke last week about how, for a lot of the Jews, the Messiah, the Emmanuel who was to come, the Emmanuel who had been prophesied about in Isaiah, was going to be a conqueror. The Emmanuel was going to be this, this fighter, this kind of this freedom fighter, this person that would liberate the Jews from Roman oppression, that would reinstate strict temple law, that would make everything kosher again, pun intended. And as we see, that's not how it plays out. God with us, when it comes to Jesus, isn't a slogan. It's not a banner under which to justify all kinds of different things. When, it, when it's applied to Jesus, it's applied in our passage as a name. The angel says to Joseph that you should call him Jesus. And then it goes on to talk about the prophecy, that will, the prophecy of Isaiah that will also be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, that he will be called Emmanuel. That Jesus is named God with us because he is in fact God in flesh. 
It's not a banner under, under which Jesus sits. It's his very identity that God has come close because God is Jesus. And Jesus would have been a pretty popular name at the time. In Hebrew, Jesus uh, is Joshua, which means God saves. But Emmanuel, this, this name Emmanuel would have been exclusive. No one would name their kid Emmanuel. It would, it would be sort of saying more than you should say about your child. Because this Emmanuel was the, the Messiah that was going to come and lead the Jews to freedom. This was the Messiah that was going to come and liberate them from everything that they'd been held bondage to. No one called their, kid, called their kid Emmanuel. But when it comes to Jesus, the angel speaks to Joseph and says, and you will also call him Emmanuel, for he is God with us. And at Christmas, we have this amazing moment, don't we, to kind of sit back and reflect on what it means for God to be with us. As we looked at in the last few weeks, God with us means something very different, even to how we would imagine it. God with us means that a poor girl, a young girl from an insignificant town, finds favor with God. That as Johnny and Amy said the other day, that God takes up residence in her womb. God with us means that Jesus isn't born in a palace, the place that the wise men instinctively went to, but in an outhouse of an inn. God with us means that outsiders are called to the bedside of Jesus, not the famous or the powerful or the seemingly significant, not even the super religious, but pagans, wise men from the East and shepherds who wouldn't be really invited to anything. God with us is Jesus coming in to the mess of our lives. Coming into the fray, coming into the chaos, the disorder, the anxiety, even the laughter and the wedding feasts and the parties. Coming in and embodying everything that it means to be human because God becomes human. You see, there's a, a couple philosophical theories, I mean there's more than a couple philosophical theories about God, but there's two in particular. This idea, as I mentioned, about deism. And this is, this is kind of, the, you know, if any of you have heard of this blind watchmaker theory, this is the idea that God is whoever sets the universe and the earth and creation in motion, then he just stands back disinterested and lets it run. And then you have another thing, which is pantheism, which is that God is definitely in creation, but he's just everything. He's a tree. He's Will Forger. Not hard to believe, actually. He's, he's, he's these Christmas tree branches. He's this PA system. He has everything. And so on the one hand, you have a God who's entirely disinterested. And on the other hand, you have a God who can become whatever you want him to be. Because he's everything. And Jesus stands in the middle of those two things and shows himself to be a God who comes in love, in intimate interest for our lives, but also wants to show us a better way, also wants to lead us, also knows what's best for us. He comes to lead us, to direct us, but also to love us. Will said this morning that in Jesus we find the perfect balance of power and peace. And I think that's pretty bang on. So, what does it mean for God to be with us? What does it mean for us here at Trinity Church, Nottingham, in 2018. What does it mean for God to be with us? It means a million things, doesn't it? 
It means more things than we could possibly say in this time right now that we have together. But one thing I'd love to look at today is that if God is with us, it means that he wants to speak to us. It means he wants to communicate with us, that God comes and takes on flesh and inhabits creation, inhabits human flesh because he wants to speak to us. He wants to transform us. He wants our lives to be intimately intertwined with his. He wants to direct us. He wants to give us guidance. He wants to speak to us every moment of every day of every year. And so I want to talk tonight a little bit about God speaking to us. And it's, it's easy, isn't it, when you read the pages. If you're anything like me, you read the pages of the Bible. You can always start reading them like a novel or a mythology. God seems to speak really clearly in the Bible, doesn't he? But we, we get so used to the nativity. We get so used to it being performed by super, super cute kids and reading it over and over again that we forget that the entire story hangs on the fact that God speaks to people and that people obey and hear him. The entire story hinges on the fact that people are able to say yes because they at first have been spoken to by God. If there's one point I want to make tonight, I'll make it now because there is the possibility that you might doze off. Even I accept that. I'll make, I'll make the point now, which is this, that at Christmas in Jesus, we know that God is with us. God is with us means that he wants to speak to us. And the question I have tonight is that what would it look like if you expected, if you expected God to speak to you this Christmas? What would it look like if it was your, uh, your, your anticipation that God wanted to communicate with you? What would it look like to come back into the new year or even tonight and say that God had taught you this or God had taught you that or God had revealed something of himself to you? You see, for the early church, this was just an everyday reality. It's never really mentioned in the Bible. They never really pause for a moment to say, I know it sounds weird. I know it sounds bizarre that God might speak this directly or this clearly. It was just a matter of fact thing, isn't it? We look at the book of Acts and God guides and speaks to people and communicates with them all the time. He communicates with them about people to appoint to different positions. He communicates with the apostles about where to go at different times. He communicates with them about where not to go. He communicates in dreams and visions and through other people. He communicates to them and it's just an everyday part of their lives. And we see in the book of Acts in particular, before the Holy Spirit comes, the apostles gather around and they, they discern the voice of God with lots. They cast lots. But when the Holy Spirit comes, God speaks to them intimately about what they're going to do. They don't, they don't, we never see them cast lots again. We never see the need for them to do that because God is speaking to them. Does that make sense? And the second reason that this is so key, is just to name it that being here tonight, being in this uh, situation, being a Christian, but particularly the service, all of this, and I know Johnny and Amy would say the same, all of this has an expiration date if we don't expect God to speak to us. Joanne has a cracking voice, but even that won't keep me here if God isn't speaking. Johnny can preach up a storm, but even that won't keep me here if God isn't speaking. The thing that sustains us, the thing that propels us, the thing that takes us deeper and further, the thing that will make a city alive and will continue to fan into flame the church is hearing the voice of God for ourselves. (laughs) 
It is a weird one, though. Do you like how I just said how they never acknowledge that it's weird in the Bible and then I've just gone back on it and, yeah, there we go. It's clever, that. I do, do think sometimes. <laughs> it is a weird one. And I want to say, for, for those of you that are in this room and maybe you've been coming, um, maybe it's your first time or maybe you've been coming to Trinity and particularly these evening services for a while, we talk about hearing from God a lot. You know, we'll have a worship time and someone will come up and say that, I felt God say this. And some of you in here might find that bizarre. What, is it, what does that mean? What does it mean to hear from God? Is someone getting something that I'm not? And I remember early on, in my Christian journey, I was a very lively, very uh, vibrant, charismatic church where people every Sunday in their droves would come up and tell, tell, tell us all, tell the congregation what they felt God was saying. Aslan was always in the move, always on the move at Cheriton Baptist Church every Sunday. And it confused me so much. I remember sitting there and I was like, well, I think I've become a Christian. Someone spoke to me about Jesus and they said, do you want to follow Jesus? And I was up for it. And so I said yes to that. And I started coming to church and someone's bought me a Bible. And I think, I think I'm a Christian. Everyone tells me that I've made this decision now, but I'm not getting something that everyone else seems to get. Everyone's hearing from God and I haven't got anything. I remember... I got given some money by a lovely um, old couple in this church. And they said, we want, you to go, we want you to go to this Christian bookshop and buy a, a book. I never bought a Christian book. I'd never been in a Christian bookshop. And I walked into it. It was called Vine Books. Obviously, it was called Vine Books. And we walked into, I walked into Vine Books. And I went up to the lady at the counter and I said, look, I've got, I've got, ten, I've got 10 quid and I need, to, I need to buy a Christian book. And all I'm interested about is hearing God. Everyone else can do it and I can't. What have you got for me? And lo and behold, there was a shelf on spiritual disciplines and there was a book there by a man called Dallas Willard called Hearing God. And I've still got that book. First Christian book I ever bought. It is bizarre. Hearing from God should be a reality for us, but we first need to recognise that it's not easy. We need to recognise some of our own disassociation when other people talk about it. And the fact isn't, that someone else is getting something else that you're not. The fact is that God speaks to all of us in, in, in specific ways, in ways that ring true to us. And there are some, there are some uh, guidelines for this. There are some ways that we can talk about how God speaks to us. But I don't want to do that uh, tonight. I think that's for um, another sermon or, dare I say, an alpha course in the new year. Come along to that. The point I want to make is that all of us all of us need to hear God's voice. All of us need direction. I think our, our country needs direction. Who should I marry? What job should I take? What should I do when I finish university? Where should I live? What should I do with my money? What's my purpose? Look at Joseph in our passage. Can we get that up, Jack? Just the um, first part of that passage. Joseph is uh, betrothed to Mary. And 
in Jewish culture, being betrothed to someone was as good as being married, which is why there's sort of this interplay between being betrothed and calling each other husband and wife. Joseph is betrothed to Mary, and she's pregnant. And we, 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 we talk about this a lot. In fact, a, a couple of the kids sang a song about this this morning, and it was, it was moving. But this is the person that he's, he's due to get married to, and she's pregnant. And we even hear in the scriptures, they point out the obvious that any of us would be thinking, but I think it's important that they do, which is that Joseph thinks that she's been sleeping around, right? But he's a good man, he's a righteous man, and he, he looks to uh, divorce her quietly so that she would be spared any shame, even, to be honest with you, death. Because being betrothed, like I say, was as good as being married. So if you were, if you were, you were sleeping away, when you were betrothed, it was as good as adultery and the, the punishment was, was being stoned, was death. So he resolves to divorce Mary quietly. But think about this. Imagine the chaos that he must feel. Having all your ducks in a row thinking everything's become aligned and then you have this sort of cataclysmic event just dropped, this bombshell just dropped into the middle of your relationship. Think of the anxiety Think of, think of the worry. Think about the sense of, like, I don't know, rejection. And in this moment, God speaks. God speaks right into the mess. God speaks when Joseph is, is most anxious. Maybe he feels most insecure when he's most worried about what this might mean. God speaks into it and he directs him within it. And I've, I've wondered, and I was asking Kate this the other day, I've, I've, probably for the first time this year, why didn't God tell Joseph before? Why not save him the emotional trauma of, having to, of his mind having to run to all these other places, all these other possibilities that might have led to Mary's pregnancy. Why not tell him? Why not give him a heads up? Joseph, by the way, the Spirit of the Most High is going to overshadow your betrothed and she's going to conceive a son from the Holy Spirit. Um, you should know, because otherwise you might think things. I can't prove this, but I think... Maybe God spoke to Joseph in this moment because Joseph needed to know that God could speak to him in his mess. God could speak to him at his point of greatest anxiety, of greatest confusion, of greatest insecurity. And some of us were waiting for our lives to look perfect before we think we can have communication with God, before we think we can hear from God, before we think we can really step into all that God has for us. But God wants to speak to us now. Now. He's not waiting for you to look shiny. He's not waiting for you to get your language right. He's not waiting for you to know all the words to elevation worship. He's not waiting for any of that stuff. We, Kate and I have a friend called Ben, who, um, whose mum actually um, was speaking the night I became a Christian. And he moved to London um, when we were both still living there. And basically hit London. He just went off the rails. He, um, he was big into sort of underground hip-hop and was at the Ministry of Sound place in Elephant and Castle. It's a niche reference, if any of you know that, well done. Um, but he, was, he, just went, he just went big. He went completely off the rails. He, he, he wasn't going to church. He kind of cut ties with all of his Christian friends. And then one evening, 
I get this call from Ben, and he's in tears on the phone, and he's asked if he can come around the following morning. So I said, yeah, no, of course you can. He turns up to, to my door, and he's weeping. And I sit him down, I said, you know, what's going on? What is going on? And he said, well, I was at this rave last night, and people were handing out E and ketamine, and it was the usual kind of thing, and there was alcohol flowing. And I was just, just, just going along with it like I always do. And in the middle of this trip, this is what he said to me, in the middle of this trip, I saw a vision of Jesus calling me back to him. In the middle of, 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 you see the point I'm making here, in Ben's worst moment, in the place where he had run to, that was furthest away, he thought, from Jesus, was exactly the place where Jesus revealed himself. God isn't waiting for our lives to look perfect. They never can. Question tonight, and I'm not going to go on for much longer, is do you believe God wants to speak to you? And do you want him to? The um, first chapter of Matthew that we've been looking at today gives, gives Jesus this title, Emmanuel, God with us. And the very, very last sentence of Matthew's gospel, the, the end of this account of Jesus' life, is Jesus saying, is Jesus saying, is Jesus saying, wait for it, dramatic pause, dramatic pause, dramatic pause, Sorry. Behold, behold, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age, full stop, end of gospel. God with us isn't something that we uh, graduate from. We don't get past it. It's the first word and the last word that we have on Jesus. And Jesus comes as a human. He knows what it is to cry. He knows what it is to laugh. He knows what it is to have friends and lose friends. He knows what it is to be frustrated. Jesus, as he's resurrected, this always blows my mind, as he comes and appears to the disciples after his resurrection, still has the scars of his crucifixion, doesn't he? Jesus carries the scars of suffering, bringing hope and suffering together. Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to be frustrated and broken and full of sorrow and full of joy. And he wants to speak to us in it. There is nothing of God that can be separate from us because of Jesus. So we're going to pray in a moment. But I just, my question would be this. What does it mean to become attentive to the voice of God this Christmas? And I think, like I said before, there's a bunch of other stuff that can be said on this. There's a bunch of different ways that we could look at how God speaks to us. But I think fundamentally, expecting God to speak to us, living our lives in such a way that we expect and acknowledge God's presence wherever we are and whatever we're doing, I think that's the first step. I think you will be, I think you will be amazed at how much God has to say to you when you just open yourself up to him and acknowledge that he might want to speak to you at any given moment. On Christmas Day, what, what, what does it look like to, to, um, to, not, to not talk about God like he's not in the room kind of thing? You know? what, is it, what does it mean to walk into family situations and just take a moment and say, just acknowledge the presence of God with you? Lord, I thank you that you're here. Lord, I know you want to speak to me. What would it look like to come back after this Christmas season if you're going, going away or just to enter the new year if you're not? 
knowing the ways that God had spoken to you, being able to name the ways that God had directed you, being able to see the things that he had taught you. Wouldn't that be good? Do you think? Should we pray? Why don't we stand, Joanne? Do you want to come back up?